Has anything terrible ever happened to you? It's a simple question. Has your life sucked? Tell her the truth. There is no truth. Drag out our story. Maybe all we've done is make a girl cry. She's talking about what happened. That's huge. You know, parenting is tons and tons of fun. And as you know, I have a three-year-old daughter. And Olivia and I, one of the things that we do is, as many parents and their small children do, is we'll watch some movies. And as an adult, I, I find myself a lot whether we're watching a movie or we're playing or whatever, and I'm kind of, you know, kindling my imagination, my inner child, things like that, in order to participate with her. And it's it's one of the great things of parenting because as an adult, it's almost like you're on the outside looking in to this little world that this young mind has created. And that could be with, you know, playing with stuffed animals, playing with dolls, just being a goofball, whatever the case is. And part of that is is watching uh, kids' movies. And I think, at least in my experience, I think there's like three different types of kids' movies. I would categorize kids' movies into one of these three types. One of them is like, you know, I'm kind of neutral as a parent. I'm not, I don't really have much of an opinion on the movie. I don't love it, but I can sit there on the couch. I can watch it. I might get bored after a little while. I'm probably going to be doing something else at, while I'm watching it. You know, while we're sitting there, I might be on my phone. I might be getting some of my own work done. I might be reading the paper, reading a magazine, reading a book, doing something of that nature. But I'll sit there and watch the movie and follow it. And I've, in this case, I've probably seen the movie before and I know where it's going. And But it's still good enough to where I'll, I'll sit there and and mildly watch it give it a part of my attention, if that makes sense. And then there's another type of kids movie that maybe you've seen it a thousand times and you're just plain sick of it. For whatever reason, your kid just loves it and just wants to watch the same movie over and over and over and over and over again, and you're just sick of it. So either you as the parent have made an executive decision that that movie will not play in your house anymore, because you just can't stand it. Or maybe it's just, you know, you'll put it on for your kids' enjoyment. They want to watch it, but you're going to have nothing to do with it. You're not going to be engaged. You're not going to be involved. You're not even going to sit on the couch. You're going to go do the dishes or cook or clean or laundry or do whatever you need to do. But, you know, you don't necessarily care if your kid watches it, whatever. So so we got those that you absolutely will have nothing to do with. We got those that you'll sit on the couch, like I said first, you'll sit on the couch, you'll watch it, you might do your own thing, but you'll still kind of mildly be engaged. But then there's a third type, uh, a third category of kids' movies, and at least this is how I feel as an adult, that there's there's a few that fit into this third category where this is a great movie, and it's 
It actually sends a great message to kids. It has some things that uh, appeal to adults. A good example might be Shrek. You know, you may or may not like Shrek or whatever, and I have my own opinions on the movie, but Shrek is a unique kids movie because there is a lot of humor and a lot of comedy in that movie that is way above a child's mind. It's way above their level of understanding. And these types of jokes and comedy, the the comedic value appeals to the adult watcher. Because, you know, these companies, Disney, Pixar, these companies that put out kids' movies, they, they try in a lot of these films to appeal to the adults as well. Because the idea is, at least in theory, that we want to put out a movie that parents can watch with their kids and that parents are okay watching. They're okay with their kids watching, but there's still some element of enjoyment for the parents. And over the last few weeks, I've watched a particular kids movie that has grown real close to me and become my new favorite kids movie because it teaches kids in a very unique and creative and engaging way about emotions and the importance of emotions. And it also speaks volumes to adults about some important lessons. And and it, like I said, this this movie has become very, very close to my heart. It's it's my new favorite kids movie. And the movie I'm talking about is Inside Out. And if you haven't seen it, if you have not watched the movie Inside Out, I I strongly encourage watching it. Maybe maybe stopping this podcast until you get a chance to watch it. It's about an hour and 15 minutes long. It's not a real long movie. It's a kid's movie. Take an hour, take an hour and a half, whatever, and and watch this movie. Whether you have kids or not, I strongly encourage watching this movie. And I'm going to talk a little bit about it. And if you haven't seen it, the reason I'd, I'd like you to watch it in, in advance, preferably, is because I am going to spoil quite, quite a bit of the movie uh, over the next however long we talk about this. This is, when I saw the movie I, the first time, I knew right away this was going to be a main topic in Third Degree Mind because of the quality, the creativity, the way that it engages both kids and adults. And it's, like I said, even even if you don't have kids or you're not into kids' stuff, I... I'm very confident in saying that I think you could watch this movie, be engaged, follow it, and you would thoroughly enjoy this movie. It is actually on YouTube, and looks like including the credits, it's uh, an hour and 38 minutes. Uh, it's There's a free version. Of, if you just go to YouTube and you type in Inside Out 2015 full movie, English for kids, you should find it. Uh, you don't have to pay for it. Uh, at least as of the release of this podcast. Uh, like I said, it's it's on there. It's on YouTube for free. Spend some time and watch the movie. Uh, I want to I wanna talk about uh, a couple key points in that movie because, like I said, it, it it is such... I can't even sit here and say how many times I like this movie and I could watch this movie multiple times and, and thoroughly enjoy it every time. So basically the the premise of the movie 
it, it takes place in essentially two different worlds, okay? So just the normal world, the main character is an 11-year-old girl, and she's going through a lot of life changes, 11 years old. She's moving across the country from Minnesota to San Francisco with her parents due to dad's job relocating. Uh, she was on a hockey team in Minnesota. She had all her friends in Minnesota, and now she's moving across the country with mom and dad. And has to make new friends, new hockey team, different things like that. The second world in this movie, which is, you know, the 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 main emphasis, the it it, it takes place inside of this eleven year old's mind, and the different characters, the primary characters, uh, are embodiments of uh, the girl's emotions. All right, so you have joy, anger, sadness, disgust, and fear. And each of those emotions is embodied by a character that exists in the girl's brain. And so from what happens in the beginning of the movie, you see... The girl, her name is Riley. Riley's born, and the first emotion she experiences uh, is joy. And joy is a, a character that, uh, you know, has a little control board uh, inside the girl's mind. They call the place headquarters. And that control panel allows joy to, uh, I guess, create the emotion of joy within the baby. And, you know, in the first five minutes, they explain that, you know, as she grows up, she turns into a toddler and stuff like that. And now there's more emotions in headquarters or in her mind. She gets those other ones, anger, disgust, fear, and sadness. And kind of the, the dominant personality here is joy. In each of these characters, each of these uh, emotions can really only work with their emotion that they represent. All right, so they have one control panel and they kind of all work together essentially to, to serve their purpose of their emotion. But Joy says something about sadness very early on in the beginning of the movie. She says right in the beginning of the movie that she doesn't really understand sadness, doesn't understand the purpose of sadness. You know, she wants Riley to be happy. Her emotion is joy, so she wants to constantly create joy within uh, Riley's mind. It's, it gets to the point where sadness, the character sadness, starts to touch these things called core memories, which are memories that uh, influence Riley's personality and create her who she is. And when joy touches things, they turn to the color blue, which is sadness's color. And joy says, whoa, whoa don't do that because if you affect these core memories and you spread that sadness you're going to affect her personality permanently so joy is like i said she's kind of the con uh the uh dominant personality or i'm sorry the dominant emotion within riley especially in the beginning of the movie here and she kind of can cooperate with the other ones with fear disgust and anger but about sadness, she, she directly says, that, yeah, I don't really understand sadness. I don't really understand why she's here or what purpose sadness serves. And that's kind of how the movie starts. Well, like I said, as, as sadness starts to spread 
within headquarters, Joy starts to restrict sadness. So she tells the sadness, she tells sadness, hey, you're going to stay over here and you're not going to do anything. Let the rest of us handle this. She even takes a piece of chalk and dries a little, draws a little uh, white circle that's about the size of sadness and says, here, you're going to stand inside this circle and don't leave the circle. Well, sadness doesn't really listen to that. And she comes out, she keeps uh, messing with things and uh, there ends up being a little scuffle. And long short, long story short, what ends up happening is both joy and sadness fall from this tower that is headquarters. And, and for the duration of the movie, they're trying to, the two of them are trying to get back. So the only emotions that are left inside of the headquarters now are disgust, fear, and anger. And so joy and sadness are, are constantly trying to get back to headquarters so that they can, uh, can, you know, so that, well, Joy is trying to get back so that she can, you know, make Riley happy. And during the time that they're gone, a lot of things happen in the external world that start to affect uh, Riley's personality because she can't feel joy and she can't feel sadness. So a bunch of different things happen to her. Uh, she struggles trying out for the hockey team. She gets, she has a hard time uh, making friends at school. And these different core uh pieces of her personality that make Riley who she is start to break off. And so joy and sadness are, are traveling through uh, the mind of Riley trying to get back to headquarters and they encounter a bunch of different things which are super, super creative portrayals of different things within the human mind. Uh, there's there's a, uh, a train of thought, for example, which, which isn't an actual train that drives through uh, this little world and delivers different things at different points, such as there's a, a part, a section of abstract thought. There's dreamland. So when Riley sleeps, they, they create dreams and, uh, basically to create dreams, they have actual characters that follow a script and they're, they're essentially filming a movie or a play and they get projected in throughout, uh, Riley's mind. And that's how she experiences the dream. And there's just a bunch of different creative illustrations of how complex the human mind is. And it's, it, it's amazing. The, there's a, uh, there's a, basically a big Canyon that is, uh, the memory dump where, so these memories are little glass balls. I don't know, probably like the size of a, of like a, like a pool ball. And, the memory dump is these memories that are no longer important to Riley uh, get thrown into the memory dump and uh, are forever forgotten. And they, they, they don't come back. They basically, they, they fall into the canyon and eventually they just vanish and they, they cease to exist. And so throughout this journey, you know, the joy and sadness, they meet other characters and other pieces of... Riley's personality or Riley's past and one of those characters is a uh, some type of elephant creature he's like a combination of a couple different animals but uh, primarily an elephant elephant face that's what he looks like his name is Bing Bong and Bing Bong was Riley's imaginary friend when she was a child and Bing Bong and Riley you know as little kids as three four five six year old however old Riley was talk of, you know, flying a little wagon 
that's powered by song uh, to the to the moon. It, it's like a jet. It's a little wagon that they would sit in, and it would have jet engines that would fly them to the moon. So it's like all power of imagination and stuff like that. And as they're traveling, you know, they they come in con- sadness and joy, find Bing Bong. And, you know, they talk to Bing Bong, and Bing Bong is just kind of existing. He's just kind of wandering imagination land. But Riley's 11 years old now, so she doesn't really use that uh, the same way that she did as a small child. So this character, Bing Bong, uh, at, at one point, he is guiding joy and sadness through imagination land, and he sees uh, this little rocket ship thing that he and Riley used to play on and stuff when she was younger. And he he sees uh, some of the workers in the Imagination Land. They're taking that stuff away. And a lot of the toddler age imagination stuff is being tossed into the memory dump. All right. And Bing Bong gets really upset over uh, that happening. So he sees this wagon that was the rocket ship being thrown into the memory dump, and uh, he starts crying. And this this scene is a powerful part of the movie because this whole time that Joy and Sadness are traveling, you know, Sadness is just kind of a burden to Joy. Joy doesn't really care if Sadness gets back to headquarters because she doesn't want Sadness to do anything. She doesn't want Sadness to be involved with Riley. She really just wants to get back to headquarters because she believes that she is what Riley needs, that she needs joy in her life. So this scene is powerful because it's Joy's really first experience of seeing that sadness is not completely useless because Joy sees uh, Bing Bong really upset after after uh, everything gets thrown to the memory dump. And Bing Bong sits there and he's crying and he's upset. And Joy tries to comfort him. And he doesn't, he doesn't respond to Joy's method of comfort. And you'll be able to hear that. But then sadness comes over and comforts him in a different way. And uh, we'll just listen to this and uh, you, you'll see the outcome. Riley can't be done with me. It's going to be okay. We can fix this. We just need to get back to headquarters. Which way to the train station? I had a whole trip planned for us. Hey, who's ticklish, huh? Here comes the tickle monster. Hey, Bing Bong, look at this. Oh, here's a fun game. You point to the train station and we all go there. Won't that be fun? Come on, let's go to the train station. I'm sorry they took your rocket. They took something that you loved. It's gone. Forever. Sadness. Don't make him feel worse. Sorry. It's all I had left of Riley. I bet you and Riley had great adventures. Oh, they were wonderful. Once we flew back in time, we had breakfast twice that day. Sadness! That sounds amazing. I bet Riley liked it. Oh, she did. We were best friends. Yeah, 
I'm okay now. Come on. The train station is this way. How did you do that? Well, I don't know. He was sad, so I listened to what... Hey! There's the train! <laughs> so this is Joy's first kind of mildly eye-opening experience that hey, joy doesn't necessarily trump all and sadness isn't entirely useless because joy was unable to comfort Bing Bong and sadness talked to him for a second and uh, all of a sudden Bing Bong, you know, he says he's okay and then boom, he finds the train and they he's the one that's guiding them and, and getting them to that, that train that they call the train of thought. So uh, they, they needed Bing Bong and so sadness is kind of the hero in this scene and you can see joy kind of realizing for the first time for the first time in the entire movie that you know sadness is not completely useless so anyways the you know the movie continues meanwhile as joy and sadness are trying to get back to headquarters you have these other emotions still in headquarters that are kind of running the show remember you still have fear anger and disgust trying to figure out what to do and they keep saying i don't know what to do but uh joy who has the core memories with her, we don't know if she's ever coming back. So the way that we fix this is the other three decide that they're going to have Riley run away, go back to Minnesota to make new core memories because all of her core memories that formed her personality came from Minnesota. So they decide that the solution here is Riley has to run away, go back to Minnesota in order to create more core memories in order to essentially save her personality. They, they give up on waiting for joy. So Joy and Sadness keep trying to get back to headquarters, kind of not really realizing that that's what's happening in the external world. And they find that the only way back is this recall tube. And it makes me think of a bank. Okay, if you've ever been to a bank, you know, a bank drive up and uh, it's got that little suction tube that you put your whatever money in or whatever you need and then it, it goes up into the tube and it ends up inside the bank where the tellers are and then they can take it out or they can put money in or whatever they're doing give you a receipt whatever stick that back in the tube tube gets sucked back up again it comes back outside to where you're you are sitting in your car that's basically what uh this little tube is that is supposed to take is supposed to go to headquarters and the, the, the tube is designed for memories. All right, so there's the memory bank where all these little glass balls, remember I said they're like little pool, pool-sized balls, billiard balls, and all these are in the memory bank, and the way that they get transferred up to headquarters is by this little suction tube that transports them across the memory dump and into headquarters, which is a distant, which is a tower way off in the distance. So anyways... They find this, and Joy is getting inside of it, but but when Sadness starts to get in with Joy, uh, she's too close to the core memories that Joy is holding. Joy is holding the core memories in a little bag, uh, like a backpack thing, and as soon as Sadness tries to climb in with her, the core memories start to turn blue. Okay, so when Sadness touches these, they turn blue and they become sad memories, and Joy says, you know, there's there's no way that you can get in uh, with me uh, without affecting these core memories. 
and we we can't have that. You you can't turn these into sadness. So this this is what happens in that scene. Now that's in the external world. Uh, that's back to Riley. Riley uh, is leaving, presumably for school. Her parents say, you know, we love you, whatever. See you later. And uh, really, Riley is walking out the door, intending on going to the bus station to get on a bus back to Minnesota. happens there is joy pushes sadness back out of the tube closes it says you know i'm sorry riley needs me to be happy she doesn't need you and leave sadness behind and she she rides up the tube and starts heading back to headquarters but what ends up happening is uh that tube fails and uh it breaks before she before joy reaches headquarters so joy ends up falling into uh the memory dump so now she's she's in the memory dump, which is that eternal. Uh, basically, you're about to you're gonna cease to exist. There's no way out. That's uh, that's uh, uh, what where joy ends up, and it's down in the memory dump that joy starts to reflect, and she realizes that uh, there's no way out. She can't get out, and she there's no way to save Riley. So she's kind of reflecting. And she's looking at the core memories and these core memories that she has with her. She's looking at them and she realizes something as she sees uh, one of them that sadness had impacted. Uh, remember when sadness touches one of these core memories uh, accidentally or whatever, brushes against them, she starts to influence that core memory. So joy is going to look at one of these core memories and she's she's going to reflect on some things and she's going to come to a realization that affects the entire direction of uh, of the plot here and and kind of takes the viewer by surprise but first i need to take a quick break uh before we we get into that this is a pivotal part of the movie if you watch the whole movie because this is where the viewer starts to uh really be surprised with the direction this movie is going we're right back I'll give you hey it's jay creator and host of third degree mind whether you're a first-time listener or if you've been with us since the very beginning if you enjoy listening 
Please don't forget to subscribe and follow our podcast for all the latest updates. One of the easiest ways to do that is in the Apple iTunes store. Just search for Third Degree Mind. If you don't use iTunes, you can look us up at thirddegreemind.podbean.com and follow us on there. Also, don't forget to look us up on Facebook, Third Degree Mind, and like our page there. You can also message me through that Facebook page if you need to reach out or if you have some feedback. Third Degree Mind is still a new podcast, so I'm always looking for feedback from our growing audience. Thanks again for being a part of that community. We're back here on Third Degree Mind talking about the kids' movie uh, Inside Out and uh, the infinite number of creative lessons that are portrayed to children, adults, whether you're a parent or not. There's something in this movie for everyone if you haven't seen it, watch it. And I know that you're on the edge of your seat if you haven't seen the movie. I know that you're on the edge of your seat wondering what happens to Joy after she falls into the memory dump here, as I was uh, describing uh, just before the break. So Joy falls into the memory dump. She's looking at these core memories, and and she sees one of them that uh, sadness had touched uh, prior to this. And she's kind of looking, and, and the movie takes a sharp and unexpected direction here because up until this scene, which is, you know, nearing the end of the film, up until this scene, the viewer is kind of on Joy's side. You know, you're kind of watching this and you're rooting for Joy. You you, you expect the direction of this movie to be that, uh, you know, you need to be happy, so therefore you need Joy. And the movie portrays sadness as almost like this antagonistic character that, yeah, we don't want sadness in our lives or sadness in our minds. So any way that we can get rid of sadness is acceptable. Uh, And you see all these negatives that sadness causes until right about here in this moment. And and like I said, you're, you're rooting for joy. So when you see joy get into the tube and leave sadness behind, you know, you might be a little... Like, oh, that's, you know, that's kind of sad. But at the same time, yeah, I agree with Joy, you know. Riley needs Joy in order to be happy. So, you know, she did what she had to do. She left sadness behind. And now you see Joy in the memory dump. And the memory dump, the entire movie, has been portrayed as this place that's inescapable. You're going to cease to exist. That's where the memories go uh, when they no longer exist. So now you're like, and you're kind of watching and you're, you're really on the edge of your seat. The first time I was watching this, I was like, oh my God, how could Joy be in the memory dump that I don't understand what's going to happen now? And she's, she's sitting there watching this core memory and, and this is the direction the movie goes. Very unexpected, at least, uh, it, it certainly was for me. And that's, that's the design of the movie that this is not the expected outcome. And so it makes this the powerful scene that it is. So this is Joy looking at one of these core memories uh, and reminiscing on Sadness's influence on this memory. It was the day the Prairie Dogs lost the big playoff game. Riley missed the winning shot. She felt awful. She wanted to quit.
us. Mom and Dad, the team, they came to help because of sadness. And at this point, Riley is on the bus, leaving uh, leaving San Francisco, leaving her family, headed back to uh, Minnesota by herself. And again, she was doing that because the other emotions that were left in headquarters making the decisions, uh, disgust, anger, and fear, didn't know what else to do. So they directed Riley to head back to Minnesota to get new core memories, essentially, because that's where all of her... Uh, that's where her personality developed. And so they, they couldn't think of anything other than sending her back there to get that again. Joy does escape the memory dump. I'm not going to get into how. You'll have to watch the movie to see how. It's actually kind of cute how she gets out. But um, so she gets out. She and Sadness both make their, they both find their way back to headquarters. And again, you'll have to watch the movie for that. That's I'm not going to talk too much about that. But they get back to headquarters, and Joy, having now realized how important sadness actually is, she lets sadness take over, uh, you know, the little controls to take over Riley. And sadness uh, saves her. She gets her off the bus because sadness is what makes Riley realize, okay, so Riley misses home. And it's okay in that situation to be sad. And the the entire problem of the whole movie is that the other emotions weren't allowing sadness to take over. But sadness is a totally normal and acceptable response. And like Joy learned, sadness is what leads to everyone else coming to help her and help make her feel better. It's not just a constant state of happiness it's okay to be sad once in a while so she lets sadness take over sadness takes over by herself and the other emotions stand back and watch and uh this this is what ends up happening when riley riley gets off the bus and she runs back home uh and this is what happens when she walks in the door with her parents riley oh we were worried sick where have you been it's so late
So at the end of that clip, she's, you know, her parents hug her. She hugs them back. She's crying on their shoulder. And then inside, inside headquarters, uh, Sadness walks away from the controls, goes over to Joy, grabs Joy by the hand, and brings Joy over and holds Joy's hand as they both push a button together. And when they do that, uh, Riley wipes a tear away, and she kind of has a little smile. And that's what restores her personality. That's what restores her, uh, essentially, her balance. And sadness was the key, not joy. Sadness is what led to that joy. And there's so many great messages within that movie. Like I said before, as you're watching it, I don't think you see that coming at all. I don't think you have any idea that sadness is going to be the hero. Throughout the movie, except for these last 15 minutes, sadness is kind of that antagonist and you're you're rooting for joy and you're thinking that joy is what is needed to fix the distress inside of Riley. My friends, the overarching theme here is that happiness is not just about joy. By the end of the movie, the audience realizes uh, that central message. There's much more to being happy than this kind of boundless positivity. You know, joy is this super bubbly character, and there's more to happiness than just being boundlessly uh, positive in every situation. In the beginning of the movie, before joy and sadness uh, fall out of headquarters, joy was really that dominant emotion. She'd always tell the other ones what to do. The other ones looked to her for guidance, which is why when joy and sadness disappeared, the three that were left in headquarters were they were anxious to get joy back. They didn't really care about getting sadness back. They just kept saying, boy, I don't know what to do, but if only joy was here, she would know what to do. She was that in-charge kind of character. But by the end, when she and Sadness make it back, she gives up that control to the other emotions, specifically to Sadness. And Riley, because of that, Riley seems to achieve a deeper form of happiness. You know, a lot of leading emotion researchers see happiness this way. There's a book out called uh, How of Happiness. If you haven't read it, uh, check it out. It's called How of Happiness. It defines happiness as the experience of joy, contentment, or positive well-being combined with a sense that one's life is good, meaningful, and worthwhile. Those positive emotions, such as joy, are certainly part of that recipe for happiness, but they're not the whole shebang. They're not everything. I found a research study from... 2014. It's published in the Journal of Experimental Psychology. This research study was conducted all over the world by researchers from many different leading institutions, uh, including Yale, Harvard, and a few others in the international uh, uh, in the international environment as well. Those researchers concluded that a combination and variety of all emotions, good and bad, are what lead to the most stable mental health. It's not about being cheerful and boundlessly happy 100% of the time. This idea of 
emotional variety, experiencing all emotions and seeing the importance of them, this idea is called emodiversity. And, and that idea is a rich array of both positive and negative emotions. Another key that this movie teaches is that happiness cannot be forced, okay? Uh, throughout the movie, when, when Riley's clearly stressed out uh, by the move out to San Francisco, you know, her parents, when they come talk to her, they always try to cheer up and they always call her, happy girl, hey, happy girl, how you doing? always trying to force that happiness. They're trying to make her happy. Just like the character Joy is trying to do uh, inside of her, force happiness in any situation. There's a researcher by the name of June Gruber, uh, and she began looking into the nuances of happiness and the pursuit of happiness. That researcher uh, learned that making happiness an explicit goal in life can actually make a person miserable. Basically what her conclusion was, and, and what you can agree with if you think about it, when you set very high standards, that often will lead to disappointment because you can't meet those very high standards constantly. You can't do that every moment of every day. Nobody's happy every second of every day. So instead, what what is suggested? What should we do? What's more effective for Riley and the rest of us for that matter? We need to prioritize positivity, but uh, that doesn't mean only being positive all the time. So we prioritize positive positivity, uh, basically deliberately carving out ample time in life for experiences and things that we enjoy. You know, in the movie, for Riley, those things are things like ice hockey, spending time with her friends, goofing around with her parents. Those are all the critical parts of Riley's personality, you know, who she is. Those are the parts that begin to suffer early in the movie when Joy tries to tell Sadness that she essentially can't come out and play. You know, she tells Sadness to stay away, and as things start falling apart, Riley starts losing these critical parts of her personality. And like I said, prioritizing positivity doesn't mean avoiding or denying the negative feelings or, or the situations that cause them. Okay, Riley admits to her parents that she's sad, and when she does that at the very end of the movie, when she admits that she misses home, she admits that the move to San Francisco has been hard on her and, and stressful for her. Understandably, you know, a small child, that's, that's, that's difficult. Obviously, it's difficult for anyone, but a small kid that their whole world is their friends, and for her, ice hockey, her school all that stuff, that's her whole life, you know? But when she admits how she feels, when she makes that admission to her parents, that that's what gives her the deeper sense of true happiness. That That's what leads to that true happiness. Folks, what I'm trying to say here, sadness is vital to our well-being. In the movie, Joy admits very early that she has no idea what sadness is supposed to do. She has no idea what purpose she serves or why she's even there. And I, I think that's how a lot of us feel. You know, many of us probably wonder what purpose sadness actually serves in our lives. My friends, sadness is what connects you to people in a deeper way. And that's a critical component of true happiness. It's a critical message of this movie because, as we've been saying... 
when sadness comes out, that's what leads to her family coming to comfort her. And, and she gets closer to her parents because of that. The scene that we talked about a while ago uh, with the imaginary friend Bing Bong, this elephant-looking creature, he was Riley's imaginary friend. And when he feels rejected in that moment when his wagon is thrown into the memory dump, he's sitting on the edge of the cliff and he's, and he's sad. And like we talked about, Joy tries to come cheer him up, but she fails miserably. It's actually sadness and her understanding and empathy sitting down next to him and listening to him. That's what helps Bing Bong recover. Joy's attempt to put a positive spin on his loss doesn't really help. That doesn't do anything. Expressions of happiness must be appropriate to the situation. That's another concept from that research study from the Journal of Experimental Psychology. Expressions of happiness must be appropriate to the situation. There's nothing, you don't need to put a positive spin on everything. The movie Inside Out, uh, it, it appeals to kids. It uses great sensitivity, a little bit of humor, and a nearly perfect illustration of just how tough some of these emotions like sadness and fear and, and anger can be. And it talks about, it illustrates perfectly how extremely uncomfortable it is for many of us to experience those, which is why many of us go to great lengths to avoid them. But all of these emotions serve a critical purpose in maintaining that internal balance and achieving that goal of true happiness, that deeper sense, not just being bubbly, but a true happiness. This movie teaches that we should mindfully embrace rather than suppress those tough emotions. Mindfully embrace. You know, early in the movie when Joy draws that little circle on the floor and she calls it the circle of sadness. She tells sadness to stand inside the circle of sadness and don't come out. You know, it's funny to watch, but it's what psychologists call emotional suppression. It's Emotional suppression is something that researchers have found will eventually, without a doubt, lead to anxiety and depression, especially in teens and young adults. You can't suppress those emotions. At the end of the movie, after Joy's realization, you know, she learns and realizes that instead of avoiding or denying sadness, she finally accepts sadness for who she is. She realizes that she's an important part of Riley's emotional life. Emotion experts and researchers call this idea mindfully embracing an emotion. Rather than getting caught up in the drama of an emotional reaction, a mindful person kindly observes the emotion without judging it as the right or wrong way to feel in a given situation. You know, this is what's really tough for those of us that suffer from something like borderline personality disorder because we're constantly trying to judge our emotions of, am I supposed to feel happy in this situation? Am I supposed to feel sad? And that's why we often come off as being uh, very numb to our emotions because we're, we're experiencing the emotions on the inside, but we've learned to not display them because we're judging and we're afraid of being judged by other people 
about I shouldn't feel this happy in this situation or I shouldn't feel this sad in this situation. In 2014, a research team led by a guy named Richard Chambers set out to study depression in teens and young adults. That team concluded that depressed teens and young adults who took a mindful approach in life showed lower levels of depression, anxiety, and poor attitudes, and they had a greater quality of life. So take the mindful approach, you'll have less chance of depression, less chance of anxiety, and less chance of a poor attitude and a greater quality of life. Inside Out truly is a great movie, folks. I, Like I said, whether you have kids or not, watch it. It's funny. It has some good adult humor in it. Uh, it's sure to make you laugh. There's a lot of like little one-liners, things that things that'll go right over the head of a, of a small child, but they're 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 funny to adults. You know, I laugh quite a few times in this movie. It and it definitely has great, 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 great messages. If you follow me on Facebook, I I posted a link last week to the movie uh, available for free on YouTube. So if you've never seen it, you can find that link on my Facebook page. Uh, it's just a YouTube link. The whole movie's on YouTube. Uh, if you just go to YouTube and you search Inside Out Full Movie, you'll end up finding it. It's it's there, and it, like I said, it is free. Uh, you can find you can find that on my Facebook page too. Uh, just go to Facebook, search Third Degree Mind, you'll find that link to Inside Out. And that's gonna do it for today, folks. Uh, we're out of time. I hope this dissection and analysis of this awesome movie was beneficial and and entertaining. Uh, if you ever if you ever have any questions for me, feel free to reach out borderline seven five zero at gmail.com or by messaging me on the Facebook page Third Degree Mind. Uh, if you don't follow us on Facebook, you can follow us right there. You can message right there. The Facebook page is the easier way to contact me. Unfortunately, I'm starting to get a lot of junk email in the uh, in the Gmail address, and I I'm afraid that if you send me a message there, I may miss it. Uh, amongst all the massive amounts of junk mail that I have no idea how I even get because I don't use that email address for signing up for anything online. So I don't know how that email address found uh, all kinds of junk email. Maybe maybe those of you who listen started using that as when you sign up for something or whatever, you just type in borderline750 and you use my email address and that's why I get all kinds of junk mail. Who knows? Because I know I don't do that. But my point is... Uh, my suggestion, if you need to reach out, uh, definitely do it on the Facebook page. That's going to be the, the better way, the easier way to contact me. Uh, have yourself a great week. And remember this approach of mindfully embracing all your emotions, even sadness. It truly is one of the central keys to success and what I like to call true happiness. Have a great week. Hey, it's Jay, creator and host of Third Degree Mind Podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. I wanted to close really quick by reminding you that Third Degree Mind is produced primarily for entertainment purposes and is not intended to treat or diagnose any mental illness and is not intended to replace clinical psychiatry. I am not a licensed therapist or physician, so if you feel that you need mental health treatment, please always seek that appropriate care in your area. If you're feeling actively suicidal, please call 911 or take yourself to an emergency room. If you're in the U.S., you can contact the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline 24-7 at 
888-382-8255 or contact them using their online chat service at suicidepreventionlifeline.org. And once again, they are available 24-7.